Hello, and welcome to BWB Extra, our follow-up feature to each of our guests' main episode. And it's where we hand over the reins to our guests to let them lead the conversation with their biggest bugbear, most burning business question, or even just a topic of their choice to discuss with us. The choice is theirs. And this week, we continue our conversation with Yeasty Boys founder and benevolent dictator, Stu McKinley, who unpacks the reality and intricacies of running what he and the team like to call the world's smallest multinational national craft beer business. We discuss big brewery, competition, consumer loyalty versus promiscuity, the importance of good branding, and how Yeasty Boys like to approach theirs to make it not boring, as well as shine a nostalgic light on the UK's beloved social institution, the good old English pub. Welcome to Being a Yeasty Boy. So tell us about beer. What does running... The world's smallest multinational. I like that. Yeah, the world's smallest multinational brewing company, yeah. Now, I always think manufacturing's a fucking nightmare. What's making beer like? It is, it is. It's tough. And it's tougher than ever at the moment, of course. You know, it's moving beer around that's a big problem at the moment. Mm-hmm. Having staff, you know, getting pinged and having to go home and not being able to make enough beer... And then also, obviously, like post-lockdown, as we open up, there's a shortage of everything, shortage of cans, shortage of kegs. So um, getting anything into tank isn't so bad, but getting it out and into cans or into kegs and then getting it to the places People you People are drinking to to. more, though, due to COVID, aren't they? They are, and a lot of pubs are out of beer at the moment. You know, I'm, I'm hearing not just from our point of view, but some of the very, very big breweries are really struggling to get beer out to pubs at the moment. And is there a shortage of stuff? Would you say that's COVID-related or Brexit-related? It's it's a little bit of a combination of both. So the biggest area of concern at the moment is, um, you know, heavy trade uh, drivers getting beer around the country yeah. and all sorts yeah, of, of other things, obviously. Um, I think there's something like 90,000 short at the moment. Uh, and a lot of them are people who left because of COVID, went back to Europe and, you know, there's not much not point come coming back. back or yeah. they can't get back in. You know, it's not not that easy to get back in now. I thought, oh, this is just England's in a mess. But this is apparently the problem everywhere. Like people have gone home in Eastern Europe because of COVID. And then they're, they're thinking, oh, actually, I'm going to stay here. Stay you home. Know? I mean, yeah. things have changed since I was last in Poland 20 years ago and stuff like that. I mean, it's an extraordinary crisis. But the pinch point for beer, is it what, the metal kegs? I mean, beer's made of water and... Yeah, I mean, we've no. got enough water. Yeah, yeah. This is where Andy shows his brewing skills. Yeah, What's yeah. beer made it's of, it's Andy? It's got a couple of things in it. You can't be short of the ingredients to make beer. We need water and some hops. Generally, or... <laughs> um, you know, the ingredient side of things is no problem. So you've got water as the main ingredient, obviously, and then um, malt, which can be barley or rye or wheat or something like that, and then hops and then yeast, of course. And all of those things are fine. We can get them, no problem. Moving them around is a little bit difficult, obviously, like everything else at the moment. Mm. Getting them into tank and fermented can be a bit of a problem with a lot of staff shortages and people getting sent home. And I know a lot of breweries who are looking for brewers. You bake here? Yeah. Yeah, cool. A a lot of people who are looking for brewers in the UK at the moment can't find them because, again, there's a lot of, like, highly qualified people from Europe who came over here and worked, again, decided to go back and, you know, spend time with their family or hang out, you know, in Italy or Spain or something like that. Can you brew remotely? Well, well, you kind of can in a way. I mean, our business is based on that model. Yeah. But that is a lot of experience going out the door, presumably. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's and it builds up, you know, pretty quickly. So we've I've heard of people who are, you know, looking, you know, really, really hard overseas in South America, Australia and New Zealand to try and entice people to come over here and work. You know, this means, it must mean this inflation, like massive inflation coming. It must mean, because the only way is up, you just pay more. Yeah. 
and then people, yeah, off we go into yeah, the yeah. joy. So thing. everything will go up uh, on our cost side, and of course, we won't be able to get any more money for it because. Uh, as are a, people yeah. price sensitive when they buy beer? Uh, they are. The big problem is, is that all of the big customers are very price sensitive. You know, so the supermarkets, yeah. the big wholesalers and things like that, they're very price sensitive. And there's a lot more room, wiggle room for the big breweries. And we're all competing with the big breweries. You know, our beers side by side with, um, you know, companies that are 10,000 times bigger than us. And it's being sold at the same price. So you can obviously tell that there's... Um, you know, there's not much room for us. I guess it's also their payment terms, right? Because all the supermarkets and everything, you've got to deliver in advance of actually getting paid. Yeah, there are some good areas in that where smaller businesses get paid faster. Um, so we do get, you know, some benefits from that. And that's a kind of joint thing across a lot of, you know, supermarkets and big wholesalers and things like that so that they kind of look after some of the small businesses. We were just talking about this. Don't you think it's outrageous that it's not against the law for big companies to pay late? That the, or that they force all the major companies say, you pay in 30 days. You're a FTSE 100 listed company. If you can't, you raise some money. If you can't, you know, do an issue or something, pay your bill. Because it's it, it's one of those things that they, they have all the power, they can do it. So you have to bring in some law. I mean, the brewing industry must be, I mean, you're alluding to it anyway, it must be an incredible economies of scale industry, you know, with the sort of the big boys, enormous. You yeah, know? The, the big breweries can produce, you know, the amount of beer that we produce in a year in uh, one shift, you know, with maybe one or two staff on because they've got a lot of automation, they've invested a lot in equipment and things like that. And then so for us to brew and sell that much beer, we're looking at sort of 10 people and for a big brewery, as I say, you know, they can do it in eight hours. And uh, yeah. But you're right, this is where we get to the limits of capitalism really because, you know, it's all very well saying, well, you know, the big boys go, well, if you want, if you want to supply us, you have to take our terms. But it can totally screw people, and that's the point at which you need government to come yeah. in and say, "Well, here are, the, here are the basic rules about how you know supply and demand works." Do you know how it works in Brazil? I love this in no, Brazil. But you're going to tell us. <laughs> Sorry, every every invoice you raise in Brazil, you have to register with the government, and then if you don't pay that invoice, you go on the red book, and if you're in the red book, no one will deal with you. I, I mean, like that's that. too far, but you know, I like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's yeah. not fucking about. You yeah, know, it's. I like, mean, we've we've discussed that ourselves around some small breweries around you know people who don't pay because what they do is they don't pay you and then they just go and find another supplier because there are so many breweries around at the moment mm. and you know it's a struggle often to sell beer unless your beer is really really good and it's branded really well and you've got good sales teams and everything and the route to market to actually get it there. So um, it's very easy for a lot of places to just go through several suppliers and just keep getting beer because there's no communication. It happens to everybody. I can remember we used to have a client at the last firm I was at where they were a massive international client and their starting point was, we're a massive international company, so you will give us a 20% discount if you want the work. And it's like, you know, the power and strength that comes with being a really big business. And you know what? You might not mind if they were going to pay in 30 days. But they're not going to pay in 30 days. They're going to pay in 90 days if you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, one of those things I was thinking about with beer is, what's the loyalty like for beer? Because in my mind, I'm not that loyal to beer. There's basically a whole bunch of mainstream lagers that I think if you blind-tasted people are basically the same. But people, some I have some friends who are like, oh, I only drink Heineken. But most of us don't really give a shit. London pride, man. London pride. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, beer's a big subject. But then you've got the craft beers, which is all about trying something new. And that's almost like, it's almost an interesting industry where you've got like, oh, you, you having Sam Miguel or Peroni or something. And then you've got all this other stuff that 
you're there just to have an experience. Do you know what I mean? So is loyalty hard to build or? It is really hard to build. It's like, we like to sort of think of most craft beer consumers, especially in their early stages, very promiscuous, you know, so they they like to try everything. They like to try it once, move on to something else. They may come back if they really, really liked it. But, you know, there's thousands and thousands of beers just being made in London every year from 120 odd breweries, 130 breweries. All of those breweries are probably making, you know, 10 to 20 beers a year or something like that. Uh, so it can be very hard to get people to come back again and again. You know, the loyalty often comes just with that route to market. The fact if you're in all the supermarkets, people will buy it because they see you all the time and it becomes the easy choice. When you're hunting stuff out in small independent bottle stores and or online and the sort of, you know, more independent online stores and things like that, there's a wall of beer in front of you and it's it can be hard to choose. This is going to sound immensely girly, right, before I even start. I know that. But, you know, when I'm looking, when you go into supermarkets and you have all the kind of craft beers and they're like lots of individual cans and they're all different, I totally choose on what the cans look like. So I'm guessing things like this, I'm holding up a can that's got a really cool, I don't know what kind of car that is, but it's a cool car on the front. It's it's the car from the 80s TV show Knight Rider. Oh, it is, isn't it? Sorry, I can't believe I missed that. David Hasselhoff. But if you look inside who's driving it, it's not David Hasselhoff. It looks like Bowie. It is David Bowie, yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool. So, you know, something like that, presumably branding and, and you know, sort of brand in general is really important to your business. Yeah, it? without a doubt. Yeah. And it's really hard to sort of nail on what people are into, you know. A lot of stuff that people seem to be really into is really, really boring to us. So we just do our own thing. What's interesting to a beer person? There's a lot of geometric designs and sort of, you know, Bridget Riley style kind of like artwork and things like that. Oh, that's popular, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. A lot of kind of like artwork that looks like tattoo kind of work as well. It's also what the beers are called though, right? I mean, you must spend a lot of time coming up with the kind of puns. Names are definitely important. And for various reasons. One is that, you know, the name sticks. And if it's a good name, people remember it and they kind of maybe have a little bit of a laugh and they, um, you know, want to buy it again and again. And then the other one is like just the ease of pronunciation and things like that. Also, you should give you a sense of what the beer is going to be like. Yeah, so we've got Big Mouth there, the Session IPA, and that's, you know, Big Mouth. It's like a quenching beer. It's, you know, you want to gulp that down after a busy day's work. Ah, okay. I thought it was to shut you up if you're a Big Mouth. Well, it could do as well, yeah. But it's actually uh, from Big Mouth Strikes Again by the Smiths. Okay. Oh, the Smiths arrive. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of musical references in our beer. So I'm drinking digital IPA Well, here. I was going to ask you, I mean, I'm a massive Beastie Boys so fan. So what's the, is that so what it is? you must be Beastie Boys fans yeah, to start yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, my wife's a big Beastie Boys fan and she did all the artwork for our beer. She's our art director. Generally in the past, I've come up with the names, but it's become more of a sort of team game now. You've been taken off the team, haven't you? You messed it up. What did you come up with? Everyone's <laughs> so creative in the team that they want to throw names at, at the board. So we have like a spreadsheet of like 3,000 beer we names. We do the business without bullshit beer. We need to develop the business yeah. without bullshit beer. You yeah. Know? No, we do. And I don't know what percentage it would be. It would be BWB. business, but no bullshit. So is that strong or weak? Yeah, BWB. We must discuss this. You know what I really like, and I can never buy them, and this is probably girly, sours. You know, I fuck, I like weird fucking What's, beers because I don't even like what type see, of beer. Yeah. What's the difference between a sour and a bitter? A uh, sour is sort of sweetie sour. It's nothing like a bitter to me. But okay. if you're a beer infinite, what's that word? Uh, someone who knows a lot about beer? One of them. Inficionado. Aficionado. Aficionado. 
Is sours like looked down upon? No, no, sours are really popular and sort of... No, they're not. You can't buy them anywhere. No, they are hard to buy. I think a lot of supermarkets got them in and they found they don't sell to the mainstream market quite enough. Right, right. But certainly in the sort of, you know, like the pointy end of the beer scene, there's sours are kind of the hottest beers in the world. I've never heard of sours before. Oh, they're the best. My mind is being blown right now. So there's a bunch of breweries in Belgium who produce this style called Lambic, which can only be produced uh, like it has an appellation around it. Oh, it's like champagne. Yeah, yeah. and... um, they are like the hottest beers in the world. They're traded at really, really high prices all around the world. No way. Okay. That's cheered me up. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. At Ori Clark, we understand that many of our clients want to be better informed about the issues they face, but don't have the time to wade through all of the legalese and accounting jargon to get there. We know that people love our easy-to-read quick guides on the most common problems facing our clients. And if you're here, then you probably like podcasts. So we thought, why not combine the two and make it even easier for people to access the knowledge of our team of multidisciplinary experts? Recently, Dominic Frisbee sat down with Andy Ori and Jeremy Coker to talk about enterprise investment schemes. So Jeremy, why don't you kick us off? What is an enterprise investment scheme? Thank you. Well... The Enterprise Investment Scheme is a scheme which is designed by the government to help smaller, high-risk trading companies to raise finance. It offers a range of tax reliefs to a number of investors who are going to purchase new shares in those companies. Yeah, it's great, to be honest. I mean, it's bonkers that in in this country, if you can, as an investor, get 30% of your money back, which is, you know... That's quite impressive, really. Plus, there's a whole other release, isn't it? You don't pay tax if you hold it. Yeah, it's a really, really generous relief that really encourages investment. And and venture capital companies can use it. It's called VCT. It's very similar. And it drives our venture capital market, you know, being the, the largest outside of the US and China. You can find our audio quick guides in the resource library at auriclark.com or search for Ori Clark Quick Guides wherever you get your podcasts. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What is looked down upon in the beer world? Oh, you know, everything, basically. It's such a snobby industry, <laughs> really. Is it yeah. a snobby industry? That's really funny because you'd think that the wine industry would be snobby. Oh, it's not as snobby as wine. It's very, you know, congenial. We always say that we collaborate in the morning and compete in the afternoon, all that Probably is the other way around because, you know, by the afternoon you've had a couple of beers. I've got a lot of friends who work in sort of other, you know, kind of related industries like coffee and things like that, and they cannot believe how much we work together, you know. So some brewer will run out of yeast and they'll call a brewery down the road or pop in and they'll get some yeast off them or they haven't got the right type of hops because it hasn't come in from their storage or something like that and they can borrow some hops down the road. That would never happen in the coffee industry. In this country? That sounds very New Zealand, that story. It's a very Kiwi story, I feel. It does happen here, um, probably more in New Zealand and probably less so now than, you know, five years ago when we first arrived here or six years ago or, you know, 13 years ago when we first started in New Zealand um, because it's beginning, getting more and more competitive and much more professional. And Everybody's heard of you, by the way, which is nice. That's so good, I yeah. Think, I, think, I think the name, the name you know, the does name helps, service. I think. It does. Totally. It's definitely one of the most interesting beer names because you're like, oh, someone should have done that pun, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just begging for it, wasn't yeah. it? Our yeah. biggest problem was, you know, converting that name into... You know, sales, sales yeah. massive, massive sales. Yeah, that's that's you need always to talk the to the thing. Beastie Boys. Yeah, that's, totally. That's we, have you chatted to them? Are they aware of you? Do they ever? Uh, to you? I'm not sure if they're aware of us. You haven't offered yet. them sponsorship. No, we kind of like 
oh. try and play that card pretty kind of like close to our chest. Probably don't necessarily want to. Well, flag one it of them's dead them. now, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of over. But Mixmaster Mike's still about. You could have a chat to him. Yeah, anyway. there's a few uh, Yeasty Boys around the world. There's a food truck in LA called Yeasty Boys doing bagels, and then there's a. a band uh, that's a bunch of winemakers in Australia called the Yeasty Boys as well. And it is our job to make them not the Yeasty Boys in Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, no, but bear in mind that suing people for, for competing names can backfire. You know, backfire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. They're yeah. different things. I mean, we dropped a line to the food truck people sometime, a couple of times actually just saying, you know, if we're in LA, we'll stop by. And if you're, you know, if you're anywhere near us, say hello. But they never reply because, you know, America's so litigious. They're just going to yeah. probably yeah. think as soon as we reply, they're going to like, yeah, chuck a cease and desist at us or something. Yeah. yeah, but they work in a different, you know, different line of work. And um, yeah, there's a food truck as well called Feasty Boys, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> Feasty Boys. Cool. So, how did you get into this in the first place? I'm an accidental entrepreneur, and it's funny when people always say to give a job as a kid. I think no, I didn't have a job, and then. I kind of realised one day that I actually did have a job, but it wasn't, I didn't work for anyone, I worked for myself. So I was like self-employed. So have you ever worked for somebody else? I have for a little while, sort of, yeah, in between times. Um, But I was, I used to go and like, um, you know, go into lakes at a golf club and like pull out balls and then sell sell them to the pro shop. And I was making like 10 times the amount of money per hour as all my friends were, who were doing like paper runs or milk runs and stuff like that. So this is like sort of 13, 14. Oh, you're quite, you've got a sort of, uh, you're naturally able to make money or this, you were just good at that job. It was just, I was just like, you know, no one else wanted to get in there. It was all muddy and, you know, horrible and stuff. And I didn't care. I just like, get in there. And you saw the dollar signs. Yeah, I just thought that's the way to fund my, um, my, because I played a bit of golf myself. So I was kind of like very, very into sport uh, as a kid. And sort of, you know, through my teens, I was thinking, would go on to be a professional cricketer or golfer, cricketer first and then golfer second. So I just wanted ways to fund, you know, that during that time as, you know, becoming a very good golfer, I became very fond of the 19th. So you spend sort of four hours playing the first 18 and then another four hours in the 19th. In some ways, it's kind of the closest you get to pubs, you know, down in New Zealand and Australia. There's like a feeling about them that's similar to pubs here. When you leave this country, the only thing Australia and New Zealand say with their hand on their hearts, I miss your pubs. You know, the pubs are wicked here. The pubs you know? are great, yeah. There's not the kind of place in New Zealand where you can go in and sit for four Just or five hours out. on your own, you know, and chat to strangers and things and like that. And yeah. also you can buy a pack of crisps. You have to buy something, but you could sit there for 14 hours eating a pack of crisps and no one... And it's it's almost like in this country you've lost sort of social care. And so, But we're actually, the pubs are an institution like way beyond, you know, what we give them credit for in terms of, a, you know... I don't know, somewhere, the the place that people can go, I guess. Yeah, yeah, they complete, I mean, it's in the name, isn't it? It's a public lounge, it's like yeah, where yeah. people, and that's how a lot of them started. They were just actually the front room in someone's house. Mm-hmm. So you can still go to a few pubs around the country where it is the front room of someone's yeah. house and they live out the back and okay. they open for like three hours a day and someone just like apps a shutter out from the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. They have a couple of casks out there and you get like some Scotch of the best egg. pints. Scotch egg. A Scotch egg, definitely, yeah. Yeah, maybe pickled egg with maybe a bag of crisps egg. and you can yeah. roll it in there. And That's how the pub, I remember pubs when I was little, the first few times I went to them. Do you remember them? They'd have this thing at the end of the bar, like with glass over it, with flies inside oh, yeah, the yeah. glass. Completely like with a, a couple few of pickled Scotch eggs. eggs. And, you know, a small rack of, you know, nuts and you'd be like, got anything to eat? And they'd be like... But, you know, I was actually, this is another Twitter story, but a couple of days ago I was reading a load of Americans going mental on Twitter about the idea of going to the pub after work. And it's such a UK thing and I don't think it's the same in other... Mental, like bad mental. Like, mental. Uh, what is going on in the UK? They're all alcoholics. They're all going to the yes. pub after work. And one of my friends that lives in the US was kind of trying to say, look, you just go for one. You just go for a pint and chat to your mates 
and that's how it works. Well, that's true. There's no force to do anything. It's just mm. a place to hang mm. out. And in fact, it's it, the point you make is a really important point because as anyone knows, I mean, when you don't drink, it's getting better. But, you know, it used to be 10 years ago, like, what? Not drinking? Why have I come out? You know, and we, you have, we have, it's changing a bit and it's a really, you know, it's, it's something you shouldn't push on people too much. You know, for me, the trick is just get a drink. Get any drink. And if you're in one of those environments where people want you to drink, just say, yeah, I'll have a beer. And then drink it so... Like, don't drink it. Yeah, no yeah. one cares if you drink it. They just care if you have one. Yeah, you just yeah. want to be sociable and have yeah, a conversation yeah. with each other, which, you know, certainly in in the US apparently doesn't happen so much, I guess, because a lot of people drive they to They don't work. open up like us. No, they go for coffee or... Yeah. yeah, and they also... You know, in the in the new world, you know, countries, there's a lot of people socialise at home. You know, in New Zealand and Australia, mm. we would most often have friends around to our house or we would go to their house or something like that. And, you know, obviously here, especially in the big cities. Particularly in London when your flat's the size of a postage stamp. Yeah, it's yeah. Hard to have it's just so there. much easier to meet yeah. people at the pub or something like that. That's I've, what's changed, you know. We used to eat at home and drink out and now we drink at home and eat out. I think that's right. Yeah. I do both out, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'm the same. But we have, I've got friends who came over here 20 years ago from New Zealand and they've got friends that they made in those first year or two here and they've never been inside their house. They've only ever met them at the pub. So there you have it. That was this week's episode of BWB Extra. Thank you to Stu McKinley for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener. And we'll be back with a new episode next week. In the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, follow us on Spotify, and come say hi on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Until next time, it's cheerio. Business Without Bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark. We've been helping individuals and businesses cut through red tape in order to prosper since 1935. To find out how our team of multidisciplinary experts can help you, whatever your needs, email us at contact at auriclark.com. That is contact at O-U-R-Y-C-L-A-R-K.com or via our website. Ori Clark, you provide the questions, we'll give you an answer.